0: Welcome to the Divine Renovation Podcast, where we seek to inspire and equip you to bring your parish from maintenance to mission. My name's Dan O'Rourke, and I'm in the studio with two of my best friends. It's good to see you, Ron Huntley. Good to be here, Dan. And Father James, it's always great when we get to spend some time together. It's good to be back. So look, guys, we've got a great guest joining us today. I've got one of his books sitting in front of me, and it is painfully dog-eared, which is a (laughs) a testament to not just how much I enjoyed the book, but to how much our offices enjoyed the book. I have seen this book scattered around the office over and over again as it gets shared and, and Passed between people. Uh, so our guest is Daniel M. I'm holding one of his books, No Silver Bullets. Daniel is the senior associate pastor at Beulah Alliance. Uh, his latest book, which I have not read, and is- Beulah Alliance is in Edmonton. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and for all
1: our international listeners, that's in Canada. eh? although it's the it's the western part of Canada. It's 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 not as nice as the eastern part, but it's
0: it's still it's still part of Canada. We we love people in the west. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. Uh, so Daniel's most recent book is uh, You Are What You Do and Six Other Lies About Work, Life, and Love. Mm. Uh, he co-hosts a bunch of podcasts of which I subscribe. And so I, 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 am, I am an admitted follower of, of Daniel's podcasts online, including the New Church's Q&A podcast and In Between, uh, which is the podcast he does with his wife, which me and my wife have occasionally listened to and this morning listened to and felt very guilty about how much better he's doing with his wife and his. <laughs> kids than I do with my wife and my kids. So so anyways Daniel you are a, I know you're a father of of 3 and of course we mentioned that you're you're in Canada, A. Eh? And it's just such an honor to have you on the podcast. Thanks
2: for being with us. Man, it's an honor and blessing to be with y'all. So Yeah, I mean I still I still say y'all cuz I just moved. I'm Canadian, but I was in Nashville for 5 years. Uh and it's it was in that context that I connected with Father James uh, and the team down there, you guys um down at Exponential, but yeah, I was working with Lifeway and and decided to keep y'all for as long as I can. <laughs> so I think it sounds better than you guys. It's a little bit more inclusive. <laughs> but, uh, we'll, we'll see how we'll see that. We'll did see they did they <laughs> did they
3: win you over to country music while you were down there?
2: Nope.
3: Nope. Uh, Evidence of God's grace at work, Daniel.
1: (laughs) He protected you. He protected you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, Daniel, there's so many things that that we really wanted to to talk to you about today, because we really have uh, enjoyed your work, your podcast, and your books. Uh, But the the conversation, though, what, what I was hoping we could dig into is really how do we normalize mission in our parishes, which is a lot of what we do at Divine Renovation is we, we, we seek to normalize mission. Uh, and so what are some of the things that we can do that begin to get us there?
2: Yeah, the whole idea of normalizing mission is crazy to think about, but uh, it's not a question that a lot of churches are asking. Mm. Because when you think about the mission of the church, a lot of times people and, and churches will just think that, oh, you know, that's kind of what we do right? Mm. And, and what do we do? Or we're, we're, we're about the, the ministry to the poor, or we're about evangelization, or we're about this, we're about that. And, and this whole idea of mission uh, is not necessarily one of those things that is clear to all people. But when uh, uh, my assumption is that when you're talking about normalizing mission, it's this whole idea of every single believer, every mm. single congregant, every single member in your church seeing their whole life as a missionary, that's right. Right, right not missionary from the sense of I'm going to move overseas and, and give up everything, but missionary from the sense of, hey, my primary calling is to go and make disciples of all nations. Yep. So whether I'm ordained or not, whether I'm a priest or a pastor or a plumber or a poet or whatever you are, I mean, we all have that same primary calling. Secondarily, man, God's going to take care of our paycheck, however he's going to take care of it. Right. We know that he is the father of good gifts, that he owns a thousand, you know, cattle on a thousand hills. We know how providential he is. Mm -hmm. Right. So trusting God with our finances, we then say, okay, our mission is the same mission. We all have that same mission. So now let's Mm -hmm. move forward. So from that context, you know, how do we normalize that? Well, you have to think about three things, right? You got to think conviction, you got to think culture and you got to think constructs to be able to bring that forward in your church.
1: Uh, Daniel, just uh, before we, I'd love to hear a bit more about those, mm-hmm. the conviction, uh, constructs constricts and, 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 and the culture. culture. Um, I was, when I was looking through your book, I saw that you used the, the phrase missionary disciples. Mm. Or the idea of, you know, I, so we're not just called to make disciples, we're called to make disciples who go and make disciples, or yes. and disciples have to become apostles to become the sent ones. And mm. that's a term that in, in Catholic circles really came to prominence around 2009 mm. through especially the... Uh, 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 the the writings of the of the then uh, uh, Archbishop Bergoglio in in, in Latin America mm. who became Pope Francis so that term missionary disciples the fact that all mm. the baptized are mm. called to be mi- missionary disciples has very much come to the fore in in a, in a Catholic context so I think it's really cool that the, that you use that phrase as well. <laughs>
2: Yeah. You know, um, that's, that's so neat. That's so neat. And even before we started rolling just some of the conversations around the similarities, Mm -hmm. right. That we have and, and what's so encouraging about that. I know, you know, in the past, sometimes you think, oh, the Catholic church and the Protestant church, and you know, like who has the truth or who has the edge and all this stuff. But what, what's so neat to see is, you know, we have the same Holy spirit, (laughs) We have the same Holy spirit. So, so if, if, if missionary disciples is something that god has brought forward in your tradition and it's something that's also he's bringing forward in the tr- in this tradition in the protestant tradition that's really encouraging yep. right because it's we're worshiping the same god Amen. right we have the same holy spirit that indwells us so but the big reason behind missionary the reason i wanted to say that is because i find in most churches uh most pastors and congregants are worried about you know getting the meat or getting fed mm-hmm. or being fed and as a result, the goal for a lot of churches, especially when you talk about discipleship and and curriculum and, and one-on-one, mm-hmm. all that stuff, the goal often ends up becoming maturity. Yes. Right. And and that's great. I mean, obviously we would want mature, you know, we know the the consequence of not having mature believers in our midst and mature leaders. We know that, right? We know that. The problem is if your goal, and I've seen this over and over again, in churches, if the if the goal of the church is maturity. I don't really ever see them getting to missionary. Which, which, in that sense,
1: it's it's not real maturity, is it? Because you know, it's one of the no. things that the, the call to be a missionary disciple mm-hmm. it it's an embodiment of the the call to holiness and mission. And mm-hmm. real holiness always includes mission, and Christian mission yes. will always include ho- holiness. But we've seen it in our own in our own experience that even people who came to faith, they become so involved in the church, and their their growth in holiness gets disconnected from their growth in 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 mission. And yeah. and they become intentional about holiness, but somehow there's a sense, well, mission will take care of itself. And guess what? It, it usually doesn't. <laughs> In fact, the thought. opposite happens. We 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 uh, become less capable of mission.
3: Well, the, and I see that a lot of times. Even church leaders think, well, once my congregation know enough, then they'll be missionary. And I don't get any sense that that's correlated at all. No. And that's why yeah. I, I love Alpha. People come into this transformational encounter with Jesus. They're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and right away they're going and telling others and bringing others. They don't even know that they should know all of these things. I don't think knowing all of those things always helps us to be more fruitful. That's why I get so jacked up when I read John 15. The whole idea Mm -hmm. of fruitfulness is what glorifies us. So, Daniel, you dropped three C's on us earlier. Help us unpack (laughs) some of those for us, would you?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this concept originally came from Eric Geiger and Kevin Peck, in a book called Design to Lead. And mm-hmm. it really is a good um, partner to this book because if No Silver Bullets really focuses on your discipleship pathway, their book focuses on how do you develop a leadership pipeline, right? Which is a concept I wrestled through in the book, right? Leadership and discipleship. Mm-hmm. But when you think about the conviction culture constructs, I basically borrowed that idea and said, okay, what would it look like if we were to use this same paradigm to help normalize mission, right? So if we're thinking about preaching or giving a homily on um, that, you know, that conviction around being missionaries, right? John 20, 21, or Matthew 28, or Acts 1, or, or, you know, you kind of list off these passages that we use to share about this biblical conviction, right, to to normalize mission. That's that's obviously one of those things that often happens and is, is one of those giving, you know, the things that just it's given, right? We'll, we'll preach on this, but then you have to develop a culture around which normalizing mission is a normal thing, mm-hmm. right? You have to create that culture. So how do you do it when someone is being baptized or when someone is sharing their uh, testimony of coming to coming to faith or where they're, you know, even if you're sharing a sermon illustration where you're sharing, right, this idea of how normal it is that you are on mission, how normal it is mm-hmm. that the, the congregation is on mission. It's not this extra thing. It's, right, yeah. it's just a part of everyday life. And then as you develop that culture and celebrate that, you then have constructs, right, which are systems that will help make that a reality. So maybe your church is going to use Alpha, right, as one of your systems or your constructs to be able to normalize mission. Or maybe you're going to use an acronym like BLESS, begin with prayer, listen, eat, serve and story, whatever it is you use, right, whatever it is, um, the, the whole idea is do you have constructs that... Uh, will then be celebrated in your culture, mm-hmm. but it's all rooted in conviction. Because if you have, let's say, if you have conviction, right, but you don't have constructs and culture, you're gonna have this. You're gonna have this apathy, right? You're gonna have this apathy. Or if you, or if you have constructs and you have all of these systems, but you're not celebrating it in your culture, people are gonna be. I mean, they're gonna be frustrated, right? Because they're gonna be like, "Why am I doing this?" Or they're they're gonna be exhausted because they're gonna be like, mm-hmm. "Yes, okay, I know what I need to do." But I don't really know why I'm doing it, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm exhausted because it's not being celebrated. Am I really even doing the same thing? So it's this whole. It's it's a it's a helpful paradigm uh, to move toward normalizing mission. The the, the,
1: the thing is too what we found in mobilizing parishes, and this is again more probably in in the the Catholic context or mainline Christian churches where the the kind of mode of existence has almost been like passive consumers of religion mm-hmm. lights you know, that's what we've created. We've created uh, uh, dependent, uh, a vast majority of, of congregants or members who are dependent and and remain in, in immaturity, you know. So, uh, the, and the system kind of re- rewards all of that. So beginning to shift it is, is it takes time, it takes a lot of work. And the first task we found is, you know, getting a critical mass of, of, of church members to buy in on vision and identity. Oh. This whole sense oh. of of that, yeah, this is actually who we are and this is where we're going and this is this is what, what we have to do to get the buy-in on on the why before you get the buy-in on the how. Because mm-hmm. I find that a lot of churches that have, don't really, haven't really gotten the buy-in on, on the why, uh, they rush mm-hmm. to the how. They want mm-hmm. para- t- churches to, yeah. to actually design a, a discipleship pathway. And it's like, well, hang yeah. on a second. Like, you don't, mm-hmm. your people don't even know the why. You, this, that's actually going to take a couple of years. And, yeah. and if you try to get people to own the how before the why, you're going to split your church down the middle.
2: Yeah, I have, I have that same experience. So I grew up in Vancouver uh, in a Korean Presbyterian church. So it was a very, very conservative, theologically uh, Presbyterian church where I grew up, you know, talking about, um, you know, just just talking about all, you know, predestination and all of these theological concepts, you know, did catechism, did so much. I mean, honestly, it was like we studied so much, right? It was so much about knowledge. And when I went into university, I I joined a ministry called Campus Crusade for Christ in Canada, you know, Power to Change. Mm -hmm. And I joined it because I knew there was something called the Great Commission,
3: but I didn't know what to do with it.
2: Like legitimately, I didn't know what to do with it. Right. And I'm like, it's probably my fault, but I didn't remember a single message On the Great Commission, or on evangelism, or what I was really supposed to do with it, in my mind, it was just one thing of many of the other Mm -hmm. concepts, Mm -hmm. right? And it was like it it wasn't the why, Mm -hmm. right? It wasn't the why, right? And you think about it: if one, if every single church decided to ignore the Great Commission, right? Mm -hmm. If every single church, just for one generation, decided Mm -hmm. to ignore the Great Commission, imagine the implication. That this would have on the church. That's exactly what right. Even if you look at the church in China right now, right? If you know, I was recently talking to my mother-in-law about this, and and they were talking to missionaries and, and believers who are there who are just coming back, and and the the oppression that the government has now placed on the church, where you know where they're you know you can't evangelize, you can't go to church until you're this certain age, and and if you do end up going to church, you don't get pension, right? Imagine if every single person in Canada. All of a sudden, you weren't allowed to collect CPP, old age security, you know, in the States, you know, old age pension. And and let's say you had no access to your 401k or RSPs, like just all of that was cut if you went to church, if you worship with other believers. Right. I mean, imagine the implications of that. Right. And that's what we're experiencing around the world. So for us to be able to freely talk about this, right, for us to be able to worship freely i mean this is this is one of those things where it's like guys this is not something we can take for granted mm-hmm. right around the world so i mean why are we doing what we're doing it's not so that we can have tea and crumpets after church right <laughs> i mean this is not this is not we're not playing church here i mean every single day people are going to hell Every single day, people are 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 losing loved ones, losing people who who I mean they're I mean the destiny. Anyway, so I sorry I know I'm probably running on. No, uh, yeah, I, <laughs> you know I care about this just this much. So.
0: <laughs> it's it's so funny. I, I feel a connection to some of your own history there, Daniel, because I grew up in a, a in the Catholic school system in Ontario, mm. and and so I learned all about the what over and over for years. Right, I learned all yeah. about about Catholicism and Christianity and all it left me. Uh, was a really well catechized atheist. So by the time yeah. I was in university, I was out of there, man. Like i I am, I want nothing to do with that crazy church, because uh, well. the why. I mean, like you know, it was not part of of my formation. Uh, but yeah. I learned a lot of history uh, and, and and a lot of uh, theological concepts, but no no actual connection. Now I want to talk to you a little bit about um, micro shifts. Because, you know, what what at Divine Renovation, we're always about trying to to help tr- parishes have massive transformation. But you, you talk about micro-shifts. Help me understand, what is a micro-shift and why are you talking about micro-shifts?
2: Yeah, I mean, the whole paradigm, if you look at the first chapter of the book, I have kind of this influences matrix. And the reason I talk about micro-shifts is because so often, as church leaders, we'll, 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 we'll end up in this copycat quadrant. We'll become these copycat churches where we'll just go to a conference or we'll see this church down the road who's who's done all of these things and, and we're like, man, uh we need to be like that. <clears throat> and and if 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 we if if we can be like that church, then we can have the same results as them. So let's just do everything that they're doing and we're good to go. Right. Um, so so we we try to go after these macro shifts. We try to yeah. go after mm-hmm. these model changing, paradigm shifting ways of doing church, but it doesn't work, right? Because mm-hmm. the culture, the systems of the church, the values of the church, it's it's like um, it's like organ rejection, mm-hmm. right? It's like trying to do a major organ transplant right. without prepping the body on knowing the blood type and having you know immunosuppression drugs and all the different things that you need to do so that the body will, you know, accept the external organ. We don't do that. Right. All we do is we cut out our heart, bring that heart in and hope it works. But eventually <laughs> our body's going to reject it. Right, Our body's going to reject it. So the whole idea around the micro shifts are if we want to normalize mission and if we want to do a better job at discipling individuals in our church, we'll then go make disciples that will then go make disciples so that, you know, our cities, our, our, our counties, our, our towns, our provinces, our countries, our states can be reached if we want to do that it's not about this one silver bullet macro shift. We need to do these micro shifts, right? We gotta do these micro changes so that we can posture our church in a place that's gonna be ready for the change that needs to take place.
3: I think about that in terms of why we coach. And that's mm-hmm. exactly why we coach, to help people not run into this stuff headlong and, and just think, oh, if all I do is implement all the tools that St. Benedict does, then we'll be a great church. It's like, yeah. it's well, it's not that simple. And there are a lot of subtleties to managing change and shifting culture that, that if you've not really taken it on before, you're going to learn the hard way. We sure did. Yep. And our yep. goal in terms of coming alongside of other churches, Daniel, that are, are seeking to bring about change that, that is fruitful and sustainable. Uh, it's just that's why we coach because you know yeah. with all the materials we have sometimes there's a lot of things you just can't put in a book. Mm.
1: Yep. Yeah, I think too the the danger of uh, of simply copying you know what other churches do. I mean, we always say don't don't so much copy what what we do. Understand why we do it and take that yeah. why into your context and mm. figure out what that means for you. Um mm. uh, Yeah.
0: That's the toughest message, though, that we give. I mean, you shared a message not unlike that up on the stage in Germany just a, a little while ago. And that's a tough message because people are, are, are hungry for that best practice. What's that What one thing I'm going to be able to bring into my church? Oh, it's Alpha? Okay, I'll run Alpha and then everything will be fine. And it's and it, it doesn't work that way. I mean, no. that, that's, that's been our experience over and over. It's like there's no silver bullet. It's like so. there's no silver bullet, <laughs> because you know if you look at
1: a simple solution like that, it's it's really it reveals a, 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 either a fear of deeper change or a lack of oh. desire for a change at a deeper level. It, it's I call it the, the the temptation of the tweak, you know, <laughs> I just just want it, let's just That's tweak good. something. But fundamentally, there's there's nothing really wrong with the model in and of itself, and yeah. and but it's it's a it's a much deeper change than that.
0: Mm. So Daniel, why don't you talk us through some of these micro shifts? I, I think there's five of them, right? Uh, give, us a, yeah. give us the headlines on these things.
2: For sure. So the first one is from destination to direction. And when you think about that, right, we think, um, so the first one is really about the maturity of an individual. So how do you know if someone is mature, right? How do you know if someone is um, following Christ and growing daily? Oftentimes we'll either measure that based on the destination, so the distance that they are from God and and how do we measure that, right? The proximity that they are in relation to God. Oftentimes we measure that based on how much they know, right? How much they know. So, and then the other way that we can measure maturity is the whole idea of direction, right? If you, if you love missiological concepts and missiological literature, this is the Paul Hebert centered set, bounded set idea. Uh, And, and he, he came up with that more in lines of conversion right? How do you measure and determine if someone's converted? So I was borrowing that concept to see, okay, how do we actually, instead of looking at conversion, look instead at this idea of maturity, right? So think about direction, as in, you know, you're either pointing away from God or toward God. So the easiest way to explain this is a Pharisee and the Samaritan woman at the well, Mm -hmm. right? So if we were to compare those two individuals in the Bible, Right. If if you were to measure maturity based off of destination and how much someone knows and has been catechized and and, and, and learnt and all this stuff, I mean, even you know, Dan, what you were saying about being a an amazingly catechized atheist, right? You have this idea of a, a Pharisee can be really close to God. I mean, you know, if if you were to think about this, if this was God and, and this was the Pharisee, and as a kid, you know, he was probably growing. And and there there's probably sincerity in his relationship with God and, and knowing God and and memorizing to- the Torah and the Pentateuch and go- but it was probably when they're like a preteen, right, or something like that, where where you know everything was just skeptical and you Did know they they're they're doing back, all this. Back
1: then. <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody's right? and then
2: and then they're growing, they're 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 growing in their knowledge of God, but they've kind of turned around. Yeah, right. And there's this point where they kept on going through the motions. And there's this point where they knew a lot about God, but they didn't know God, Mm -hmm. right? Versus Mm -hmm. the Samaritan woman at the wall, if this is God, I mean, not only was she all the way out here, Mm -hmm. but she was pointing the other way too, right? But when she encountered Christ, she turned around, right? So in our churches, who would you rather have more of, Mm -hmm. right? How would you Mm -hmm. rather measure maturity, a lot of people who know a lot about God, but don't know God, Oh. Or a lot of people who don't know a lot about God, but they know God. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So that's the whole idea of changing the way that we view maturity in our churches.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Father James, I've heard you speak many times about just... Um about how when we bring in new believers, they're, they're coming in with, with messy lives. They're more like the the the, um, the woman at the well than they are in, in terms of the people that we're used to seeing in church. And that's mm-hmm. part of what starts to happen when a church becomes missional.
1: Yeah, and one of the ways, when I speak to church leaders in our Catholic content, context, one of the things that a lot of church leaders struggle with is our whole sacramental system. Now, obviously, I believe in the sacraments, but in this kind of consumeristic uh, view where of, of church where in which most Catholics have been catechized and sacramentalized, but never evangelized. They've never actually mm. encountered Jesus in a life-changing wow. way. They're, they're not in a relationship with him. They know about him, but don't necessarily mm. know, know him. And that was certainly, that was my own story up until the mm. I was uh, 16. But a lot of times, a lot of parishes put so much time and energy into dealing with mm. unevangelized people who are demanding sacraments, like like mm. consumers. And we, and we try to meet people in that demand and try to kind of like, Evangelize them, but it's very difficult mm. because we're, they're like they want to buy an apple, and we're like, "Well, have you ever yeah. tried an orange? Oranges are so much better than apples." <laughs> and they're like, "No, I'm not interested. I just want an apple. Just give me the give me the sacrament with no strings attached," yeah. which of course is a contradiction. Mm. And we end up getting people to jump through hoops, and then at the end they turn around and take the apple, and we never see them again. So, but yeah. it's a lot of energy goes into working with mm. unevangelized. Uh, people mm. who are demanding sacraments, but when you begin to put your the emphasis on evangelizing people, when people are encountering encountering Jesus and having a, tr- a life transformation, they're they're in relationship with Jesus, they're active in yeah. the church, and they're they're desiring sacraments. Amen. And the, and yes. so they often have messy lives, and it's work. But what problem would you rather have? What what work mm. would you rather
0: do? I know I know yeah. my answer to that. Mm. Daniel, what's the what what's the difference between a discipleship focus a discipleship process? focused on destination and one that's focused on direction
2: so from a from a macro sense right if you have a discipleship process focused on destination uh, a church that's doing that really well right if let's you know because there's four different types that I we probably don't have time to go into but but let's say let's say a church a and church B are both doing it really well. Right, because a from from the from the bad side, right, on the negative side of both, a church that focuses on destination, it's they're just going to copy all these models and keep on changing. Right, a a church that focuses on direction, from the bad side, it's going to be choose your own adventure, Mm -hmm. where everyone just does whatever they wish and want, as long as it's somehow related to God. And you know, there's just kind of it's just you know, no systems is kind of way off there. But but on the positive (laughs) side, right, on the positive side, a church that does discipleship based off of destination or direction on the positive side from the outside doesn't they don't actually look very different right they don't actually look very different because on both that are doing it well it's like man they're getting people through their classes right a church that focuses on direction it's not the absence there's no absence of classes there's no absence of processes right there is all of that so so from the outside both can look really similar but when you look at it from the inside and this this is the second shift, um, the, the church that focuses on discipleship as getting to a destination, they focus all on these output goals of maturity mm. versus churches that focus on direction, they they have this mix of output goals and input goals. Mm. Um, so it's not just behavior, right? But there is behavior that that demonstrates fruitfulness, but there's but there's a way to measure inward heart change as well. So mm-hmm. that's the biggest difference between the two.
3: Oftentimes I would get asked, because we talk about this too, Daniel, hmm. and people would say, Well, you don't know people's hearts, you shouldn't judge. I said, Yes, you can. Just ask. If you ask yeah. somebody what God's doing in their heart, if he's doing anything at all, they're more than happy to witness mm-hmm. to it. But it's like we're afraid yeah. the answer is going to be no, so we don't even ask, and we just keep putting people through process, like through information. Yeah. It's like, for heaven's yeah. sakes, it's one and the other, not one or the other. So I love what you're saying
1: there. Daniel, you spoke about uh, output mm-hmm. and input. Can you say a little mm-hmm. bit more about that? About what what you what, What's the difference?
2: So, I mean, when you think about it, right, someone who gives regularly— someone who worships regularly someone who is in community regularly someone who serves regularly all of these things you would say mature believers do Mm -hmm. right i mean that's a normal practice for mature believers but just by doing those things doesn't necessarily make someone mature right so that's the catch-22 right so yes we need to measure these output uh, you know, in terms of okay, what you know, are they sharing their faith? Are they giving? Are they serving? Are they engaging with the scriptures? Are they doing all these things? Yes, we need to measure, and that's fine. But how do you measure the inputs that relate to the outputs? Mm-hmm. Right. And, and through in the book, it's um, we unpacked this research that we had done. It's, it's now three research projects that have confirmed the same, um, very, very same results. But basically, there's a list of output goals of, OK, this is what a mature believer looks like. This is what uh, this is what uh, the behavior looks like of a mature believer. So that's output. But what the research revealed uh, was, OK, here are the inputs that lead to these outputs.
1: So, can you, give, give, of, give us an example yeah. of that. What are the inputs? Yeah,
2: so for example, <clears throat> so you were talking about the sacraments, right? So, if we're if we're thinking about confession, right, and we're thinking about this idea of confessing your sins, so that's an input. That's something that we can do, right? So, if you confess your sins on a regular basis, right, what do you think would be the natural output in an individual's life, right? You are obviously going to think that they're going to they're going to live freer. They're going to uh, be able to better obey God and deny self. They're going to uh, they they might be more transparent with others and 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 be able to exercise faith better. I mean, we see this, right? We see this when people you know confess and 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 they're living um, unchained to the sins that are that you know that are tearing them down, right? That are bringing them down. So we see this, and that's uh, oftentimes we don't necessarily put this direct connection. But the research revealed that those who confess their sins on a regular basis are actually more likely to share their faith, Mm. right? There's actually this connection between regular confession and evangelism, Mm. right? So without this research, right, without this research, what we often do is, you know, going all the way back to the beginning, where it's how do you normalize mission, right? Well, we need to preach conviction, we need to create culture, we need to, you know, develop these constructs and and how how do we convict people We use guilt and shame, right? (laughs) Right. not saying we should, right? Not saying that's a good thing, right? But honestly, you know, and, and sometimes it comes across more unintentionally than not. It's kind of like, man, hey, guys, you have one job, right? One job. It's to go and make disciples of all nations. I'm doing it. He's doing it. Look at all the great ways we're doing it. But really, you're not doing it. So hopefully the Holy Spirit convicts you during this mes- message and you go and do it, right? Isn't that the way that we often <laughs> <read>? <laughs> Sounds good to me. <laughs> yeah. But in terms of behavior change, you know, we do that. But how often do people actually change, yeah. right? Sometimes it happens. How often do people yeah. change? So.
1: <laughs> yeah you just describe I mean uh, the, my own journey as a pastor because I was so convicted about these things, but for years I would preach on these things i'd preach about the need to grow in holiness to to pray more to get in small, to be in small groups to serve in ministry to grow spiritually in our understanding and i'd preach it and preach it and there was a certain amount of low hanging fruit people who were yeah. open to that message and who did respond but over mm. the as the years went by, I realized that about ninety percent of the church goers they just left and came back the following week and and i realized that all i had done was i'd succeeded in tying up heavy burdens and putting them on their backs because now they mm. just left church convicted that they were not good christians yeah.
3: convicted yeah. that
1: they were failing and the problem was was that i had just i had enlightened their understanding mm. but the point was was that they they just didn't desire it enough yeah. and desire yeah. was only awakened when you fall in love with the with, with the lord when you fall in love with him you experience his love then you then it then it becomes a reality and and th- yes. that's why i realized i had it backwards
2: yes so completely so going along with that framework right if you if your church is all about the outputs right then you're going to be really great at at preaching and teaching based on these outputs that are going to try to give people more head knowledge Right. So that hopefully the low hanging fruit can change and hopefully one day they can, you know, there's this change. Right. But right. But if you awaken their hearts, right, if you awaken their hearts, what are the things that you can do that will awaken their hearts so that the outputs actually are, are 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 a consequence? Right. So the whole idea with the book is instead of seeing the outputs as the levers you pull to try to awaken people's hearts, the outputs are the result. Yes. Right, that's the thing that is just a natural result of doing these inputs, right? So going back to that exercising, um, evangelizing, and confession. If you help people come to the cross and understand, right, that they are sinners and that there is this separation between them and God uh, as they, you know, when they've sinned and and when they come to confession and that that relationship is restored, right? That relationship is restored. It's like, man, you just experience. That restoration of a relationship, mm-hmm. right? Now, now it was temporarily lost because you're a believer, and 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 you confessed. And there's, a, you know, is that temporary? But I mean, look at your neighbors, look at your coworkers who do not, who have not experienced what you just experienced, what you are taking for granted, right? They have never experienced that restoration, right? Mm-hmm. And what happens is if they are deeply, if confession is not just about you know, going and doing your time or talking to a priest or doing this or, you know, I mean, that's not what it is, but it really is a heartfelt, Mm. man, this is, this is, I mean, this is like, this is life and death. And it's that their, their heart is awakened to that. Then evangelism, what we find is evangelism actually is a result not studying and, and it's not even necessarily memorizing, which both are incredibly important. But what the research revealed is if, the, the more frequently an individual just reads the Bible, just reads it, just reads it, what happens is every single aspect of maturity goes up into the right, Mm. the more they just read their Bible. I know it sounds like a silver bullet, but it's, I mean, it's not the only (laughs) thing, right? (laughs) Right. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, that's the whole idea, but because what happens, right? Father James and, you know, I mean, you you guys, I mean, what happens as you spend time sitting at the feet of Christ, like Mary did at the feet of Jesus, Mm. just reading the word, not for what you can get out of it, but just for the sake of, man, I just want to spend time with you, Jesus. Mm. Right? I just want to spend time with you and I want to I want to read through the psalms or I want, to, I, want to, I want to meditate on this. I want to read through this gospel and and I'm just gonna read and I'm gonna let God move my heart, change my heart, change my affections, change my priorities and lead me and I mean every single aspect of your life will change mm. you know that and it so that's the whole idea of how inputs and outputs work. Right.
0: So look I'm going to do something
2: painfully cruel right
0: now.
2: <laughs> we are we are
0: way over time and and we made it through two only two of the micro shifts <laughs> which was output to to input and destination uh, and direction. So so I'm going to I'm going I'm going clamp us down here, guys, because, Daniel, we have to have you back on for another episode to take us through the rest of the micro-shifts. And for those who have been joining us uh, so far, if you are hungry for more, this is your chance to hop onto Amazon and and to, to, to order Daniel's book, No Silver Bullets, or his new book, uh, You Are What You Do. Uh, and so those are two places you can find Daniel. You can also go to his website at danielm.com. Uh, I, I highly recommend uh, his two podcasts. Uh, everything uh, that related to Daniel, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed personally, so I, I encourage you to check uh his work. Daniel, thank you so much for being with us today.
2: Awesome. Hey, thanks, guys. It's been a pleasure.
0: All right. God bless, and we look forward to being with all of you again next week.
3: Thanks for listening. Stay up to date on all things Divine Renovation by signing up for our e-newsletter. You'll receive updates about the ministry, links to videos, and exclusive offers. Visit divinerenovation.net to sign up. Next week,
2: on the podcast. If, if we can get to this place as leaders where we truly trust the ministry of the Holy Spirit, understand that God cares more about our church than we ever could, if that is true, then we can say, okay, I'm, I'm gonna make my life and, and the mission of our church to be all about God's mission. Not my mission, but God's mission. And His mission from the beginning of time was a missionary of sentness.